Hello, everybody. Welcome to Quantum Catechesis. I'm Father Joe Krupp, and you are not. And today is going to be kind of an exciting and challenging show for me. It's challenging because I don't have my hearing aids in, and I have headphones on. And even now, as I talk to you, I can barely hear me. Isn't that funny? So what I'm counting on, I got Carrie and Nick here, and they're giving me like the talk quieter. Because do you want to hear seriously how loud I need to talk to hear me? And I don't know how loud it is to you. If I talk about, okay, right here, I can hear me. Is that, and that's loud, isn't it? Okay. So what I kept thinking is talk at the volume to talk to yourself. That's what I'm doing. Isn't that a riot? But I'm wearing these headphones because it makes me more professional. And it also allows me to be like Jordy LaForge on Star Trek, remember? Captain, we need dilithium in the chambers. <laughs> Right? And also, did you see yesterday it helped me be a pirate? I oh, we're going to talk about the mash today. I'm so sorry. And when I say I'm sorry, I'm not. I have no contrition on this point. But if you're seeing this, one of two things has happened. Either I'm dead or I'm vacation. What? I could die before my vacation. Wouldn't that be hilarious, though? Seriously, if like everyone's watching this, they're like... How did he know? And all I can do is hope that it was a cement truck. I assume that's a very fast death. And if not, it's noteworthy. Because I don't know if there's a patron saint of cement trucks. That's a gap. That's a hole in the coverage I could fill. I would just need to be like preaching the gospel and then a guy driving a cement truck is really angry about the gospel and runs over me. And then I'm a martyr. Why are we talking about this? Okay. And I, again, I would say I'm sorry. I'm not. I'm not. So if I'm dead, please send money to my dad. Funeral expenses. Huh? Funeral expenses. Funeral expenses. Yeah, I'm going to have a really expensive funeral. I want to be buried in a Cadillac. Do you know about that? Seriously? One of my buddies, uh, uh, no, no, it was a speech I heard. A guy was giving a talk and he was at Philadelphia in some fancy cemetery and a guy was buried in a Cadillac and he said the best part is someone who was there said, man, that's really living. It's like, no, chief, that's dead. That's dead. So enough about death, you childish men and women. What we're going to do today, and, I, and probably for the next few days, is really try to walk through Mass together. And thanks to the technical prowess of Nick and Carrie, we're going to be able to... We have a Mass here that I prayed, so it's probably filled with mistakes. And I'm going to walk us through it, pause it, kind of talk you through, why do we do these things? Um, and I hope you find it helpful. And even if you don't, I don't care because I've already committed to doing it. And gosh darn it, I find it helpful. So, <laughs> I can't believe you can hear me. You guys can hear me. Okay, this is crazy. Okay, so my dog is here and he is demon possessed and I can't open the door because my cord's too short. Um, but what we're gonna do uh, is I'm gonna look at this camera because it helps me feel a little more professional, and then Nick can open the door and let the evil dog out, because he hates the mass. I don't know if you know this about my dog. Um, actually, he likes it, because that means he sits in the sacristy and gets T-R-E-A-T-S, which I can probably say now that he's gone. 
So the first thing we're going to start with is the just the idea of mass. We're not even going to look at the video yet because I want to talk to us about a few things. Okay. And my buddy Jeff uh, shared this with me at one point, and it really, I don't know, it helped me a lot. When I was a kid and mom and dad would say, we're going to uh, grandma and grandpa's, I didn't ask what I'm going to get out of it. It never really occurred to me uh, that that was a question that mattered. My mom and dad said, you're going to grandma and grandpa's. So we went to grandma and grandpa's. And the reason I say this is when I talk to us about why we should go to mass, the first thing I think we're often tempted to do is talk about the benefit it has for us. And I totally get that. I do. But what I first want to consider is we should pray for the grace where there's an answer that's enough for us. Why should I go to mass? Because God said to. Isn't that something? It's, it's, it's on one level that simple. And honestly, I think we can add reasons why it benefits us. And that's important as we grow older. But if for nothing else, never pretend that the wisdom of this modern age, right, which can't even agree on when life begins or on gender, what would this society have to offer us about the idea of something that's eternal, something that's been part of the human experience literally from the beginning, that humans, be they Jews or pagans or Gentiles, all understood that if there's gods, we should worship them. And how we worship them is important because if we don't do it within a context, we will end up worshiping ourselves. We will. Um, And that's something to think about. But when we talk about why do we gather, it's because truth is always good for us. There's a famous atheist author named uh, Richard Dawkins. And he's articulated no new arguments. Uh, He's just articulated the old ones with a particular rage. And one of the things he says, and it's so funny, if God is, he says something about this. He doesn't need our worship, right? Right. That's in the prayers for mass. It's right in there. You have no need of our praise. And our desire to thank you is itself your gift, since our praises don't add to your greatness, but profit us for salvation. Right? I mean, it's right in the mass prayers that we say, yeah, he doesn't need our worship. We need our worship because it's the truth. God is greater than us. We submit to him. And there's, that's important. We need to recognize our place in the universe. God doesn't need to love us. We uh, just, just what was it? Whatever day our anniversary mass was, uh, a turtle of all things. Did you see this little fellow right in the middle? This guy must have fallen. And I literally mean this about 10 feet. And he landed on his little shell and they can't flip themselves that I know of. And he was trying, right? So I see this little dude. Well, he's not so little, right? His shell was as big as my hand. He was a painted turtle. And it was so funny. People were like, that could be a snapper. I know how to tell if it's a snapper, you know? Um, yeah, I met one once. Does anyone find that funny? For those of you who aren't watching, I just showed it as if my pinky is missing because I'm 12. 
So the turtle was upside down. I flipped him over. Yes, I washed my hands afterward. And uh, I called a bunch of kids over. And I says, look at what God did, right? This beautiful painted turtle. And, and it struck me and I said to them, kids, do you get God didn't need to do this? He could have just made one plain animal that does everything. But our God loves diversity. He loves to show off. His creativity is such a beautiful thing. That was a moment of worship. I sat with these kids and together we rejoiced in our God who didn't need to make turtles or didn't need to make this one pretty, but he did, right? Um, that's good for us. Worship is always good for us. And when we talk about mass, we're talking about not just personal worship, but all of us together worshiping. If you've built a fire, and I had this weird dream last night that we were trying to build a fire, and I have no idea what that was all about, but I was the only one who knew what I was doing in this dream, and that's a bad sign. That's a nightmare. If I'm the only one in a group who knows what's going on, we're lost. But be this as it may, when you get a fire going, and you know all those embers at the bottom, they're glowing hot. And if you take one with tongs, and separate it from the fire, it goes out. And it goes out quicker than in the big fire. This is another image for why we pray together. There's something good about you and I being together. As scripture says, iron sharpens iron. And the other thing I think about is this. It is inevitable that whenever we pray mass together, um, there will be a complaint. Yeah? The sound system. People were loud. Father didn't pray mass perfectly. Um, it is impossible to get 500 Catholics together and pray for an hour and not have troubles. That's good for us, right? When the crying child at mass distracts us, we have the choice to try to control that to sit and seethe about it, or to say, this is where I am, and I can pray here. We need to pick the third option. This is good for us. It keeps us from being self-obsessed, right? Um, these are all benefits of praying together. And I know there's a whole segment of the Catholic population that wants a perfect mass, and we can do it. I've thought about this. We just need you to leave, right? We do, because you're not perfect. I'm not perfect, right? And that's key. The crying child does not need to leave church. It's nice if they do, if it's overly distracting, but they don't need to for you to pray. You have to grow. You have to change. It's a good practice for only trying to control what you are actually capable of controlling. Right? <clears throat> I have endured grisly homilies, right? Uh, and I try to remember this whenever I preach. I don't remember many homilies from growing up, but I remember hating most of them, right? Sit still for a long time while a priest talks about things you don't understand and you're not sure matter. Been there. I prayed mass for years. Uh, with a priest who did all kinds of weird things during Mass. I still 
got to receive Jesus. And in the end, this is the challenge I hope to offer us uh, above all the others or within all the others. If you're one of those who has to complain at every Mass or has to struggle with frustration at every Mass, and I want to be clear, I'm number two. Every Mass I struggle with frustration. I think I hide it well, but it's a battle inside of me. Um, what I try to remember is this. I want you to think in the Gospels about how many times Jesus did something insane on the Sabbath, right? Um, including healing someone with a withered arm, right? Remember this? And what was the response of the, the bad guys, quote unquote? You did it wrong, right? This is always the danger of come Holy Spirit. This is always the danger of an obsession with the how. It's that we miss the why and we miss the what. I do get it. I promise you. I've said homilies where afterward I literally apologize to God's people. Right? I have. I have crashed the plane. Okay? And God's people are so merciful. Uh, truly. I've had masses just this morning. I got stuck on a prayer. My brain is so fried. Have you noticed this? The last week I keep freezing up on prayers. Okay. It's all right. In my head I panic and I feel guilty because I need to do it right. Not really. It's good to do it right. But how about if in the end we just say, there was a miracle today. There were a few miracles today. Ready for some of them? Like this morning at Mass, what, 150 people? Yeah, at our morning Mass, we get about 150, I think. I'm bad at this. Uh, there was people there who were born in India. There, was pe there were people there born in Africa. There were people there born in the Philippines. Isn't this cool? There were people there born in Mexico. There were people there born in the USA, including St. Bruce Springsteen. He was born in the USA. I don't know if you know, he should do a song now that I think about it. Think about it. What brings that group of people together? What, we had Republicans there. We had Democrats there. We had liberals, we had conservatives. We had people who uh, love MSU and people who are going to hell. We have, that was funny. We have people who are heartbroken, people who are ecstatic. We have people, we had single people, married people, widows, widowers, aunts, uncles, all this. That's a miracle. There we all were. All of us in agreement on a few things. That we were there to worship God. And that that's a good way to start your day. So cool. Another miracle. Uh, the lector got up and read a poem that was written 2,600 years ago. Isn't that crazy? We know word for word a poem that a king wrote 2,600 years ago, and it's in the Bible. And you and I, who have the extreme benefit and blessing of Jesus, risen from the dead, uh, see how he was pining for what we now know was coming. Isn't that extraordinary? We then got to hear something that's a little under 2,000 years old, a letter inspired by the Holy Spirit that St. Paul wrote to a group of people who are just trying to figure out what does it mean to be Christian. We don't have to guess. It's right there. They're figuring it out, guided by the Holy Spirit. That's a miracle. We had a miracle of knowing 
think of this. The gospel was Mary Magdalene at the tomb of Jesus. The first words Jesus said after he rose from the dead, the first words he said to a human. We know the response of the disciples. We know the response of Mary Magdalene. We even know that she kind of bumbled and stumbled over herself, as would anyone. Those are miracles, guys. I can't, I can't remember what I said an hour ago, but I can know what was said 2,000 years ago when that beautiful saintly woman, St. Mary Magdalene, saw Jesus risen from the dead. That's a miracle. There was a miracle, too, that at one point in this Mass, we went to the Last Supper together. We didn't reenact it. We didn't remember it. We participated in it. Heaven and earth joined together for a few moments, and God transformed bread into him very, his very self. And that would be enough of, to, of a miracle for us to, holy cow, but then he gave himself to us. Consume me. Take me inside of you. Those are just some of the miracles. And what we don't want to be is the Pharisees who say, what to Jesus? He did it wrong. That's not how you should do it. Now, of course, there will be people, I don't know, and not a ton of these kind watch my show, and I get it, okay? I struggle too, but who will be like, well, man, I should be done right. Oh my gosh, yes. I, I, I get you. I strive for that. But if Jesus taught us anything during his time on earth, its orderliness is our obsession, not his. Not his. Look at where he was born. Look at the circumstances of his birth. Read everything you can about Hebrew culture in that day and age and tell me that we should be obsessed with order and precision. We try to be because we're Roman Catholic. We're not just Catholic, we're Roman Catholic. And there's a culture of Roman that back then was about precision, right? Which is ironic now if you've ever been to Italy. You're like, those are the descendants of the Romans? I don't know. Something happened. Did I ever tell you? An Italian priest told me what it is. Seriously. He, he, I said, how the heck are you guys descendants of the Romans? There is nothing about you like the Romans, except your language, which is vaguely similar. And he said, I think we decided at some point we had our run. Day in the, yeah. Day in the sun. Yeah. Huh? Their day in the sun. <laughs> Sorry, their day in the sun. They had it. And what did he say? It brought out the worst of us. He said we're anti-Roman to some extent now because we saw what being Roman cost us and cost the world. Did I tell you this? Ever tell that story? Fascinating stuff. But anyway, um, this is my intro. And I, I don't apologize because it's long. I really want you to think about these things. Um, and I don't want you to hear in me saying it's okay to be messy that we're not going for precision. We are. It is, it is important that we strive to conform our worship to the norm. Namely, God willing and the crick don't rise. As we settle down from Vatican II, at some point, you'll be able to go to Mass anywhere, and it's the exact same Mass you see at your home parish. Why? because uniformity is important here. It's not my mass. It's not your mass. 
It's God's mass that we participate in. And as a church, we strive. God, what do you want us to do? What are we not doing well? What are we doing well? We're striving for that, guys. It's important. What I just want to make sure is that our whole time in Mass is not consumed with us being in the fictional Mass where it's perfect. There we go. Be where you are. People in your life love you, and you're a bit of a train wreck, right? They love you, and they don't need to fix you for you to be loved. Give that to the Mass. Give that to your priests. Give that to your lector. Give that to your servers. Okay? think my last point before we launch this missile is I can't do it all, right? It's inevitable that as you watch this, you wonder, well, why didn't he talk about that? One of a few reasons. One, I'm not bright. Yeah. Uh, two, it's a lot. And I hope you know that. The mass is an inexhaustible treasure for us. And if I tried to cover everything, A, I would fail. And B, this would be really long. What I want to do is help us who want to be faithful to Mass to understand at least the basic framework of what's going on. Why do we do what we do? Okay. And in that, I hope to help you and me, you and I, you and I, pray Mass better. Um, so with that... I think we're ready to dance. What do you guys think? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what you should see now on your screen, if you're watching, and if you're not watching, if you're just listening, um, I'm not going to tell you what you should be seeing because, I don't know, I was going to try to make a joke and I can't find it. Isn't that funny? Like, there was a joke there, but I couldn't find it. So if we look, uh, can they see the screen right now? No, they can't. It's frozen. Okay, but I want to point out a couple things. Uh, first of all, see how it says 16th Sunday in Ordinary Time, July 18, 2021. Okay. What that refers to when we say Ordinary Time, what we're talking about is the church is on her own calendar. Okay, uh, she does a little bit of a different calendar than secular society. And when you see uh, 16th Sunday of Ordinary Time. Ordinary Time is a season in the church. And if you'll excuse the phrase, it's a default season, okay? It's a season that isn't Lent, isn't Advent, isn't Easter, isn't Christmas, right? And, and ordinary means something in English, but this is actually a Latin word. So I need to help us with this. That they're not saying ordinary like Americans use it. They're not using an English word here. They're using the Latin word, ordinary. What does that word mean? And so where we use for a progression of numbers. One, two, three, four, five, six, two, four, six, eight, right? Any kind of progression, predictable progression of numbers is ordinary in Latin. And you can see how it became an English word it became, can't you? Isn't that funny? Mm -hmm. But so when we're not in Christmas, Easter, Lent, Advent, blah, 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 we're in ordinary time. And we simply mark it by a progression. So the week after the 16th Sunday of ordinary time, it's the 17th Sunday. And then the 18th, right? It's, it's a logical progression of numbers. And why do we do it that way? Honestly, I have no idea. But it's what we do. Okay? And um, 
the priest, like if you look at the altar, do you see on the altar, there's a, a white cloth and then a green cloth, right? Why green and white? Because of MSU, which scripture tells us that's where Jesus went to school. Michigan State University, for those of you outside of the state of Michigan, there's two great universities in the state of Michigan and they're huge rivals, right? There's Michigan State University in East Lansing and then there's Eastern Michigan, which is in Ypsilanti and it's a huge rivalry. Okay, so all kidding aside, green and white are the ordinary time colors. So when you see the priest wearing white and green, it's ordinary time, okay? You might see him wearing purple. If he's wearing purple, it's because of Prince. No? Oh, sorry, I'm wrong on that. Apparently we wear purple for, what is it? Advent and Lent. And usually it's two different purples. Purple was a real special color back then. It was extremely important. Only royalty, the highest levels of, of royalty wore it. Namely, at some point, Romans evolved to the point where only the emperor could wear it. And not by law as much as they just jacked up the price of purple linen so much that only the emperor could afford it. They did that on purpose. Isn't that funny? Oh, yeah. Romans were, yeah. So we wear purple because of Jesus' kingship. Right? He is Lord. He is King. In Lent, we're celebrating his Lordship over our sin. He is King over our sin. What does that mean? Well, it means if you ask God's forgiveness for your sin, he'll forgive you. He's defeated it. And if you get to the point where you don't sin in a specific area you might have been wrestling with, he's shown his kingship there. Jesus, can I think, what's her name? There's a saint, St. Julian of Norwich. Julian, of, it'll come to me. Uh, who said, ultimately, even sin is beholden to God. That God can even use our sin to make us holy. St. Francis de Sales, I think, made a kind of a side comment about how if sin didn't hurt our soul so much, he'd prescribe it. He'd prescribe it. He says, because it teaches you humility. It teaches your dependence on God. It teaches your compassion. It teaches you God's mercy. I mean, blah, blah, blah. It's an amazing thing. Jesus has totally mastered sin. He is conquering of it as thorough and complete. There is no point of sin he can't beat or even use for his glory. We also wear purple on Advent because of his kingship. The king was born. Now, he does power different than you and me. If, if I was told, well, you're going to be born somewhere on earth as the greatest king who ever lived, an eternal king who literally will conquer death, where do you want to be born? I'm not going to pick a barn. I'm not going to pick a barn in a tiny little country that was under foreign occupation. I'm not going to pick a barn in a country that was under foreign occupation during a census. But God does power different than you and me. And it's up to us to change it. Up to us to change, if you'll excuse me. G.K. Chesterton said, we always say God turns everything upside down, but that's because we're standing on our heads. We turned it upside down. Isn't that cool? If you're listening to this and you think, my gosh, this is a lot of detail. We're going to be doing this forever. Yes, we are. And if you don't like it, you're probably going to hell, but I don't want you to worry about that right now. Did anyone find that funny? Not even a little. Okay. If you look on the picture, you see some Latin words up there. Okay. At introibo ad altari dei. What does that mean? 
It means when I was a kid, dad got me an Atari. Okay, that's not what it means. And what it is, is in the old mass, before Vatican II, and many of you might remember this, the priest would start off mass and say that, at Entroibo ad altari Dei, and I will go to the altar of God. And the response from the acolytes was, to the God who gives joy to my youth. Isn't that beautiful? And I will go to the altar of God, to God who gives joy to my youth. I love that. Ah, so we put it up there. Because we want to remember what we're doing at this Mass is we are going to the altar of God. Because we'll talk about this in a bit. Something crazy is going to happen there. Okay? I don't want to brag. But I'm a priest, and I can do some crazy stuff. I put it on my resume, but it doesn't really help. It's a very specific job. Okay. So with that, um, I think that's everything I wanted to say before we push play. And I made a rhyme at this early time. Because I'm a poet, and I know it. And my feet show it, because they're Longfellows and they smell like the Dickens. You're welcome. So when I push play, will I hear what's going on? You should. That's why you have... Huh? I mean, pardon? That's why you have this on. That's why I've had phones on. I'm not... See what I mean? I shouldn't be in charge of anything. Maybe a sandbox. Okay, here we go. So I'm going to push play. Whoa, there it is. Okay, if you look over to the left, you see the dude walking up to the mic right over by the statue of our Blessed Mother. Okay, so let's hear what he's got to say. Oh, you know what I forgot? We should be quiet before Mass. Right? I mean, as much as we can. I get it. I love people. And so when I see them, I want to hug them. Um, and it's one of the things where, I don't know if you guys remember, I actually asked the community here, you're going to need to help me. Um, because it is important to try to have some semblance of quiet so we can pray and focus ourselves before Mass. I get that it's not always possible. I do. And if you're one of those who prefers quiet and it's loud and you are clearly throwing a hissy fit, you've definitely undone what you were attempting to do. Yeah? But for the rest of us who tend to be a little bit more gabby, we do want to remember that is a place of prayer. And when we designed this church, we designed it so there was an area we could all chat outside of the church so that people can pray. But again, I'm one of those people, I have to be told that. And it's okay. I always thank people who do, Father, you asked us to help you remember, right, that we're going for quiet before Mass. Okay, so now let's hear. <clears throat> Good morning. Good morning. Okay. Welcome to Holy Family that. Church. Today we celebrate the 16th Sunday in Ordinary Time. During Mass, we invite all to approach the altar to receive the Eucharist. For those physically unable to come forward, please raise your hand as others exit your pew for communion, and an usher will be sure the Eucharist will be brought to you. Our celebrant for this morning's Mass is Father Joe, assisted by Deacon Dan and Deacon Denny. I get now you, let Deacons. us stand for the entrance hymn. Okay, so right there, some churches do this, some churches don't. He's just trying to let you know where we are. We're on the 16th Sunday of Ordinary Time, and also some practicals, um, and because there are people who can't really come forward uh, for communion, and we want to keep that in mind. Um, one of the things you may have noticed is that there were people still walking into church. Okay, um, I'm not one of those priests who freaks out about people being late. I had that priest again growing up, and I think it's the stupidest thing, right? Unless you've had 500,000 kids and you're trying to get them out the car and get to mass, maybe you shouldn't have an opinion, 
huh? Um, <laughs> although, do you know this, my dad's thing? If we weren't 15 minutes early to mass minimum, we had to wait for the next mass. That'll get your kids out the door. Ooh. Okay, what is uh, my dad's line? Uh, five minutes early is 10 minutes late. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, uh, when we walk into church, there's two things we want to be conscious of. One is the tabernacle and one is the altar. Okay. As you can see, we made sure that the tabernacle is very visible in our church, front and center. And so that takes precedence in a sense over the altar. What is our response? We genuflect. If you're able, I can't anymore. Right? I mean, I can, but it became a distraction uh, to other people. And uh, somebody lovingly told me, Father, I get you want to be reverent, but every time you genuflect, everybody wonders if you're going to be able to get back up. And some of that's just because I'm fat. I'm just kidding. A lot of it's because I'm fat. But uh, when we genuflect, we need to make a slow, deliberate motion there. This is a big part of our Catholic faith. We use, we believe that humans, we know that humans are body, soul, unities. And what does that mean? In this case, it means we can use our body to remind our mind of what's going on. You don't genuflect when you walk into Denny's, right? I have. They'll ask you to leave. But have you seen that buffet? We genuflect. What is that? One knee down, one knee up. The one knee down is for awe, right, and wonder. And the one knee up is readiness, right? It's we're ready. Um, so we genuflect or we bow, right? If you can't genuflect, I get it. Trust me. A good, profound bow. And when we say profound bow, what we're trying to avoid is the chicken thing, right? This is the chicken thing. So a slow, deliberate genuflection, a slow, deliberate bow is your body letting your mind know we're in a different place, right? We're, we're doing something unique here. Okay. So now we're going to see, uh, look at that pretty, pretty priest. Do you see him? Okay. So what we've got here, um, oh, see that? That's me. I see my godson. Oh, I'm talking louder. Now. That was me. I saw my godson and I had to give him a hug. I couldn't believe it. Okay. So what you're going to see in a moment is a procession. Okay. And when we talk about procession, what you want to remember is that it's not about getting the priest up front. Because if it was about that, we'd just start mass with the priest up front. The procession is important. Uh, for the Romans, there was this really fascinating thing called uh, the triumph, okay? And the triumph was something that Romans used to do very rarely, and then as the empire descended into to narcissistic emperors, it was fairly constant. But uh, uh, so let's say I took an army up into the Germanic tribes and uh, won, so then when I got home, because the Romans were terrified of the Germanic tribes, right? When I got back, they might have a triumph. And what would it look like? Well, at the front of the triumph would be the sign of the, the family sign or the sign of the conqueror, right? Um, and then you would have all of the conquered, 
right? All of the slaves, all of the uh, people who were subjugated, and you would have all the treasure that he brought home. And then very last and most important was the conqueror, right? Whoever that was who led that would be the very last person in the procession. And make no mistake, Romans killed each other over who gets to be where. Uh, this is a big deal. And again, we are Roman Catholic. So these procedures are important to us, preserving our cultural heritage as well as our spiritual heritage. So when you look at a procession, there's a real specific way we're supposed to do it. Okay? Um, and in this case, the sign of the conqueror goes first. Do you see him? It's Jesus on the cross. And again, we don't do conquering like secular people, right? We don't do conquering. Like, so how did Jesus conquer? By dying. Not killing, but dying. That's why the church is not a big fan of the touchdown Jesus crosses. Have you seen those? Where it's a cross, but Jesus isn't crucified. He's coming off of it, right? We, we, we don't do that. I mean, your church might. And I get it. I had a priest who insisted we do it. But we're not supposed to. It should be Jesus on the cross because that's how he conquered, right? And then after that, we have all the treasures of the church, right? What are the treasures of the church? People serving, the word of God. And then the priest, and this is always so weird for me to say because I'm an idiot, but the priest who's there in the person of Christ, I'm there trying to represent Jesus as a broken, sinful man to you. Um, and then we, we, we have a song or a psalm, right? Um, if you ever get a chance uh, to look at the Missal, which is the big red book the priest reads out of, <coughs> excuse me, you'll see that there isn't actually an opening song. Uh, there's a scripture verse that you're supposed to chant, but it's evolved in the U.S. into the singing of an opening hymn. Okay, so we sing an opening hymn, and I'm going to skip ahead, all right? Um, so one of the things, uh, this is again a personal thing, but you'll notice a lot of times I hold my rosary while I pray mass. And I did have a very loving person. They weren't trying to control everything saying, Father, I thought we weren't supposed to pray the rosary during the mass. Uh, I'm not praying it, right? What I'm doing, that's again a personal thing that I try not to let be too distracting. But the reason I do it is because my brain is a wandering brain. And when I'm at Mass, I, I constantly am asking our Blessed Mother to pray for me to say yes to being in that moment. I don't know if this makes sense, does it? I'm a guy who keeps living in the future by accident. Um, I'm always thinking of what's next. Okay, got to do this, got to do that. And, for, and particularly until the homily's done, right? Because I'm always scared about the homily. Scared's the wrong word, but... Uh, I want to do a good job. And I work hard at those homilies. Right? I really do. And I don't want to be the priest that gets up and reads the homily. Right? And I don't want to be the priest who gets up and just free wheels and doesn't ever land the plane. So I, I feel some pressure. I think it's a, a good pressure. I do. It's not crippling. But all of this, I hold that so that um, as a, my reminder to be where I am. Right? Be where my shoes are. And it's also, for me, an expression of gratitude. If Mary didn't say yes, we don't get this moment. We don't. Yeah.
So you see I'm doing a profound bow because um, I'm going to turn this down. Can you guys hear me? Sorry. Okay. Okay. Oh, when I turned it down, did it turn it down for the listeners? I'm so very sorry. Okay. Uh, so now you're going to see I'm going to reverence the altar, right? I'm going to give it a smudge. Okay. What am I talking to? Okay. So when I reverence the altar, what I'm doing is a couple things. First of all, inside of that altar is the bone of a saint. For us, it's St. Martin de Porras. Okay. Um, and so we're showing reverence to it. And also, and I'm going to be honest, I'm not sure if this is true. I've had people tell me it is true, and I've had people tell me it's not. But what I was taught is that there was a custom in Jesus' time that the husband, before he uh, lays with his wife, right? And that just lays there, if you know what I'm saying. Okay. That he would, well, no, I don't know how to say it. Okay. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, it's hard work being a 12-year-old priest. He would kiss the bed. As a sign of reverence, right? As a sign of reverence for her, for what they were about to do. That this was two bodies becoming one. And that it's not just the act of the two bodies becoming one. It's a proclamation of what their souls are doing. For married people, sex is worship. And that's important for us to remember. And there is a lot of, frankly, if I may, marital imagery within this mass. Right? Remember the whole thing. Jesus is groom. We are bride. Jesus is groom. We are bride. And while our society has decided to fictionalize gender, we buy it. We buy gender. We believe it. We believe there are male souls. We believe they are female souls. And we believe that the soul of the church is female. And you'll hear that in the prayers. The church has always, without fail, for 2,000 years, referred to herself as her. Okay? So before this act, uh, this marital act between God and man, we reverence the bed. Okay? So then um, you just pray the priest turns his microphone off if they're singing. Right? Did you ever have that priest? I've got an okay voice, but I've been with priests where they have horrible voice and they keep their mics on singing and I'm always so paranoid about that. All right. So now I'm organizing things. See what I was doing? Moving stuff around because I'm anal. And I'm praying. And I really am. I'm asking Jesus to help me. So then the first words out of my mouth are going to be and must be by church rule. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. That's always to be the first words out of the priest's mouth. Ready? In the name of the Father, and of the what? Son, and of the Holy Spirit. What? How does he Spirit. do that? How did the I know? Be with you. And with your... Spirit. It's that changed, right? 2011? December uh, of 2011? Did I mess something up? You can tell me. Okay. Um, so why do we start in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit? Because that's how we were baptized, right? Matthew 28, 19, Jesus said to his disciples, go into all the world, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. For you and I, it is that Trinitarian reality and that Trinitarian love that has drawn us in. So we try to start everything in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Um, Paul, at one point, the Apostle Paul, wrote, Whatever you do, do it in the name of the Lord. 
and we take that serious. So we start off like we were baptized, okay? <laughs> and then I say, the Lord be with you, and the response, and with your spirit. Why did we change that with, from, and also with you, right? Uh, because you're not saying it to me, right? It's the priestly spirit of Christ inside of me that you're acknowledging. And have you ever seen a priest, this always cracks me up, when the priest, the Lord be with you, and with your spirit, good morning. It's like, how many greetings do we get here? You ever seen that? Yeah. Okay. That, that, that's a good greeting. The Lord be with you. You don't need to add good morning, especially if it's night. That's just weird. So um, that's the beginning. That's right. My voice was going out. We call to mind those times that we've sinned and we ask for God's pardon. Okay, I don't like the sound of my own voice. Isn't that funny? I should have thought of this. Nick's like, I don't either. You sound like a loser. That's what she just said. She's supposed to be my friend. <laughs> she said, I'm not. Hey, how are we doing for time? Has it been an hour yet? No. Okay. Okay, great. So, um... <laughs> I just gave the I gotta go to the bathroom sign. Should I not have told them that? Are you gonna edit that out? I don't think you should. No. Cause sometimes that happens during mass. Do you know what I mean? There's times where I'm praying mass all of a sudden I'm like, oh no, oh no. You know what I mean? And then you think about how much more time is involved with mass? Because I've learned this. If you leave, even to do that, people think you're dying. Father ran off the altar. I did not. I can't run. I'm fat and I have bad knees. And apparently a small bladder. You're going to take that out, aren't you? No, she's not. All right. What were we talking about? So we start mass and the first thing we do is we clean house. Okay? We clean the spiritual house. And part of the reason I'm taking so long on all these points is because we do them all the time. And familiarity can accidentally breed contempt. At this point, what we're doing is preparing our hearts by letting God remove sin. Now, is that because God won't love us? No, he's going to love us no matter what. But by letting him take our sin, we're clearing the path to receive that love better. I say this a lot because I wish I would have known this as a young man. We don't repent be so that God can love us. We repent because he loves us. He showed us our value. And every sin we make reduces our understanding of that value or shows a lack of understanding of our value. So we give God our sins. Remember, there's basically two types of sins. There's mortal sins and there's venial sins. But I think about 95% of sins are venial. I don't know. I'm making that number up. I have no idea. I know I've never committed a mortal sin. I'm just kidding. For something to be a mortal sin, you have to know what's wrong and not care. You have to be free not to sin, and it's got to be serious. And there are some things that are always mortal sins. Murder, idolatry, adultery. Those are three things that are always mortal sins, I think. Yeah, because murder is different than killing. Killing can be not a mortal sin, but murder is a mortal sin. Okay. I need a drink. <coughs> Hold on. <coughs> Sorry, guys. In Michigan... 
we just got a ton of mold in the air. And I've been, yeah. And you can hear it here at this mass. I don't like listening to me. I didn't think of that part. We should have done this with a good priest. So we give God our sins and we trust him. And if you have venial sins, then they are absolved at this moment. And you might think, well, if so, why do I go to confession? Because we should. There's a power and a need to name most of our sins. Mold does not grow in the dark. Yeah. Uh, light is a great disinfectant. And for me, if I don't name my sins, if I just do, excuse this, but quote, just do this and say, well, I'm all set. I can get awful comfortable with my sin. I can even give me a long enough timeline. I can justify anything, right? So we give God our sins. And how do we do it? There's a couple ways. Do you hear our beautiful deacon? He's leading us right now in the confidier, we call it. And it's such a beautiful prayer. I think if you ever get a chance, print this out and read that every day. It's really a great prayer. Um, it acknowledges, it helps us with all the things we need to do in confession. We name our sins. We know it's our fault, right? We're calling it that. And we're asking for prayers. So you can hear there, we specifically ask for our Blessed Mother to pray for us and all the angels and saints. Now, you're always going to run into people who say, well, I don't know why you pray to Mary. Jesus is enough for me or some kind of silly argument like that. Uh, but I guarantee they ask other people to pray. Can you imagine someone comes up? Hey, will you pray for me? Sorry, man, you got one advocate. His name's Jesus. It ain't me. Of course we pray for each other. And you either believe in the resurrection of the dead or you don't. And you either believe what it says in Revelations, where it says that the, the saints in heaven are offering prayers, right? So we ask them to pray. We believe they are alive and that their prayers are helpful to us. So we ask them to pray. And I want us to take a moment now, and I, I, I'm going to give you an image that means a lot to me personally. And it's an image I hope you carry with yourself through, all through every Mass from now on, and I mean it. It's the idea that in the book of, the book of Hebrews, it says, quote, Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us cast aside every encumbrance of sin and press forward with our eyes fixed on Jesus who inspires and perfects our faith. That cloud of witnesses, what are we talking about? We're talking about the angels and saints. That we believe at this mass, heaven and earth are joined in a unique spiritual way. That all around you in that mass, there are more invisible people than there are visible people. Truly, you're surrounded uh, the image I, I've used, and I don't know if you'll find this helpful. I, I know some people hate sports analogies, and I kind of apologize that I'm about to use one. But when I was at MSU, one of the things that blew me away was what is called the tunnel. So you get to the game hours before the game, tons of stretching, tons of taping, ton, right, right, taping, like, you know, uh, I don't mean like video. Okay, you get what I mean. Uh, taping up bodies, taking ibuprofen, um, all kinds of things. And then you go out on the field and you stretch and you practice and you do all those things. Then you go back in the locker room and you pray together. Uh, you get your last minute instructions. It's not like TV. There's no pep talk. If, I, I always love this line. If you need a pep talk, you shouldn't be there. 
right? Um, but then you go stand in the tunnel. And what you're waiting for is that moment when they say, you know, welcome your Michigan State Spartans. And I'm telling you, what am I, 51? I have never, I will never forget that feeling. It's dark, and I mean really dark, and you're jammed in together with your brothers, right? And I mean jammed in together. And you kind of don't have to be, but you are. And you can't, I can't describe the feeling. You, you feel like your skin's on fire. You're, you're ready. And the, 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 the cement is shaking with the 86,000 fans that are banging on the wall, on the, on the uh, floor, that are clapping their hands, that are screaming. And I can't tell you what that's like. Um, it is astounding. And then, boom, you're out, right? When we pray mass, and I do mean this, that's what I always think of. I'm in the spiritual tunnel. And the angels and the saints are all rocking because you're about to go to battle, right? And it's not a battle with an enemy out there. It's a battle with sin in here. That, at every Mass, I pray, or at some Masses, I pray we sense that someday. Because I have felt it before. I have. Where all of a sudden, I'm cognizant of just a few of those invisible people. Um, truly, I tell you this. And again, I get it if you don't believe me. I do. But I was praying Mass one time, and my buddy who was in the congregation said, I just kept, I was sure someone was standing next to me. And I thought, I forgot something, and there's a deacon trying to help me, or it was so clear to me. And at some point I realized, oh, right? I don't know who you are, but I'm so glad you're here, right? So glad you're here. And I had a sense, well, I'll not get into too much detail. So then after mass, an older woman came up to speak to me and said, Father, I'm gonna sound like I'm crazy, but there was a saint praying mass with you. He was standing right there and I could see him. And I could cry telling you that. It was so real, um, rough. You know, I lost my mom. Uh, five years ago, and I miss her every day. But at every Mass, I'm sure she's there. And not because I'm praying it. She's at every Mass. Because there's only one Mass, and we're all participating in it. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> so we're going through, and we're asking God's forgiveness. Here's the key. Have mercy on us. Forgive us our sins and bring us to everlasting life. Wow, I go slow, don't I? It just means so much to me, those words, right? May Almighty God have mercy on us, number one. Number two, forgive our sins. And then three, get us home. Okay, think of the Hail Mary. Okay, what do we pray in the Hail Mary? Um, Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, right? And when do we ask for two prayers? We ask her to pray at two points, right? Remember? Now, 
and at the hour of our death. Right? Those are the only two moments that matter. That's it. Nothing else matters. And I mean that. Now matters and the moment of our death. And that's echoed in the Mass a few times, that only two things matter. Now and the hour of our death. Okay? And then the deacon's horrified by what I said. So he's saying, Lord, have mercy. No, is that not what's happening? Oh, sorry. And then what we're going to do, like, so if I turn this down, is that okay? Because I want to talk while the glory is going. Is that appropriate? Okay. So uh, we put the words down, but what are they? This is really important, guys. This is the song of the angels. That in that unbelievable moment, when God became human and was born, he joined heaven and earth. He joined human nature and divine nature. And what was the result? The angels went nuts, right? The most astounding act of humility and love in history. God became breakable. God became tiny. God became dependent also that he could save us. And it made the angels go nuts. So we sing the song of the angels here. Glory to God in the highest and peace to his people on earth. Right? This is a huge song. And again, it gets frustrating if you're reading it, if you're singing it every day. Right? You might start to, oh, just remember what we're doing. We are, we are in a celebration where heaven and earth join together. Right, that's the key to this whole thing. It's not just what you see, it's what you don't see, but that is there in a real and powerful way. Heaven and earth join together. Okay, so I'll blast through this a little bit. Okay, so then we get to what's called the collect. Okay, it used to be called the opening prayer. We changed it to the collect because I don't know. Isn't that funny? I know there's an answer. I just don't care enough to look. You know what I mean? It's just, and so, and still to this day, you know, if you say it to a young priest, what's the opening prayer? It's the collect. <laughs> okay. Uh, what does the collect do? Um, it's kind of a transliteration of Latin now. That's what changed in 2011. And so it's often extremely awkwardly worded. Right? Romans loved to stick the verb 13 miles from the beginning of the sentence. Do you know the story about the two slaves in ancient Rome? This is a great, Father Tim Ferguson told me this and it actually helped. Because again, as much as I sometimes complain about these prayers and how hard they are to understand, it is our Roman heritage, right? This is Rome, you know? But there, he told me this great story about two uh, slaves in ancient Rome and uh, they were walking by the forum listening to a political speech. One of them spoke Latin, the other didn't. And they stood there for an hour and a half listening to the speech. And finally, the one who didn't speak Latin said to the other, let's just go. And the one who spoke Latin said, hold on, he's about to get to the verb. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Um, so it actually helped me to hear that. It did, because I really, complained a lot about how hard it is to pray these prayers sometimes. But it, you know what? That's a part of our heritage. We are Roman Catholic. Okay. So with that, you'll hear, let us pray. And then I pause because, you know, to pray. And then I get after it. And I never, right? Remember this, your priest 
better not be making the prayer up or fixing it. We read the prayer given to us. It's not my mass. It's not your mass. It's God's mass. Okay. Show favor, O Lord, to your servants, and mercifully increase the gifts of your grace that made fervent in hope, faith, and charity, they may be ever watchful in keeping your commands. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with okay, you I in the unity. Okay, I can't stand my voice. Okay, so see how my hands are? If you're watching, right, this is called orans. And some guys do it this way. I actually just prayed math for the priest who does it this way. Um, there's, I don't think there's really a wrong way to do it. Although I always call this one the French, right? This is the French Horans. I surrender. Uh, what's the idea? It's a prayerful posture that we assume. When the priest is doing this, see this? This Horans, or some do this, some do the, I don't know. One guy does the, look how big the fish I caught is. Um, when we do that, we are praying to God on your behalf. Okay, that means something. When we're, oh, did you like the fish one? Isn't that fun, right? Lord, look how big the fish I caught is. Um, when the priest does this, he's praying to God on our behalf, okay? When the priest does this, see this? He's praying with you to God, okay? Just, just as a heads up. Um, and then, well, I won't get into all that. You have the okay. Holy Spirit. God forever, forever and, and ever. ever. Okay. Amen. So then at this point, I think we'll take a natural break. And next time we get together, we'll start looking at this part of the liturgy that we call the liturgy of the word. And I'm pretty excited about it. I, I, I love this part. I do. I do. I do. Okay. So thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, if you didn't hate this, tune in tomorrow uh, to learn more. If you did hate it, tune in tomorrow to suffer more. Yeah, we value suffering in this church. Okay. Um, so I'm going to lead us in a little prayer. And uh, then I will see you beautiful people tomorrow when we talk about the liturgy of the word. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, the liturgy is your gift to us. It's yours. Thank you for letting us be a part of it. Help us to pray Mass well, with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul, and all our strength. May what we do at Mass give you great glory and draw people closer to your sacred heart. We make our prayer of faith in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. And may Almighty God bless all of you guys, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I can't wait to see you guys tomorrow when we take a look at the Liturgy of the Word. God bless you guys. Take care. Is it over? No, it's never over.